On this episode, we go over some best practices for working remotely. We talk to Craig Johnston from Live Earth, and we have a roundtable discussion about facial analytics. Welcome to the SE Crowd. A solutions engineering podcast discussing technical topics with guests from our technology community. Let's start with today's trending topics. Most of the company has started settling into the new changed work environment. But for many of us, remote working has always been the norm. So for this week's trending topics, we decided to bring you some tips and tricks on working remotely. To start with, we suggest creating a morning routine. Shower, get dressed, make your coffee or tea, do your hair. Basically treat every morning as if you were going to the office. It'll help mentally prepare you for the day. And in parallel to creating your morning routine, try to maintain clearly defined work hours. You'll focus better and get more done if you have solid transitions between work time and personal time in your day. Remember, you don't have to be 100% productive all day long. It's really easy to put unnecessary stress on yourself to be productive all the time. Distractions happen. Kids need attention. It's okay. But whenever possible, try to schedule your distractions. Take breaks throughout the day. Take lunch. Go for a walk. Spend some time with the kids. Try to build clear transitions to help you keep focused on when it's work and when it's play. Take lunches away from your desk. Don't just grab a sandwich and go back to your workspace. Weather permitting, have lunch outside. Basically, take that time to reboot your brain for the afternoon workload. And finally, don't forget to communicate and socialize. Going from an office environment to a remote environment can be really isolating for some. Turn on your cameras so you can speak face-to-face -face with people. Understand that context can be lost in emails and texts, so whenever possible, try to call people. And continue to schedule those virtual happy hours and game nights. Social distancing doesn't have to be antisocial. You are listening to the Technology Partner Corner. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's Partner Corner. Uh, with me today is Craig Johnston. He is Vice President of Business Development for Live Earth. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here today. I want to get started because most of the team knows Live Earth. Uh, it's it's it really is a very uh, sexy display when you when you put that map up and we can see all of the tracking information and, and the live information as it's coming in. But what they may not know is the backstory. So can you kind of get into a little bit of where it started and, and how it came together? Absolutely. So, you know, everybody does tell us it's that sexual visualization platform, that sexual map, but it's really the functionality that matters the most. So this goes back um, 12 years now into DARPA contracts, and the original product was developed for the military, JSOC specifically. And it's really how do you create a single pane of glass, a single situational analysis tool that allows a two-star general to walk into a room and see everything going on in the battlefield. So integrating drones with, you know, active videos feeding off a drone, a tank location, a troop location, and really allow a commander to come in and know his battlefield and take action. So coming out of the military where we've built this platform to provide those command and control functions with analytics built into it and video streams and all that, um, the challenge with the, the, the DARPA contracts is you're also slave to a large prime contractor. Right. So three years ago, the company decided to move away from that and rebrand as Live Earth. 
the, the goal at that point was really to now provide a commercial platform that really dealt with the safety and security of both citizens in cities, but employees or assets in general. So, you know, dealing with law enforcement agencies, dealing with large corporations where it's asset protection, but dealing with utilities. Um, the, the genesis of the platform is still the ability to ingest data from any location, any source, and all we really need is a geolocation and a time and date stamp. So cameras and VMS systems, prime example, but it could be the GPS location of a truck delivering goods. It could be the traveler location of an executive traveling for a company. It could be a door access control. It really can be any data that provides you the information you need and gives you the awareness of what's going on in your environment. So you, you, you mentioned video and VMS as, as a natural fit, uh, and we've seen what that integration for Milestone is, is just sending the video out to Live Earth. But when we're in front of end users and, part, and we're with partners and things like that, we hear about the products they're using all the time, and we don't always know where certain products fit and where they align. What are some of the more popular integrations that you guys have with other vendors that when we hear those, those should be automatic triggers for us to think Live Earth. Yeah, and, and now it really comes down to verticals, right? So it, our predominant verticals are public safety, law enforcement. Uh, we're still in the federal government, so we're still providing into the military and government agencies. Then asset protection, which is really large enterprise accounts and utilities. So each of them is a little different. So when you start thinking law enforcement, the obvious ones are AVLs, right? Tracking of police cars, okay. gunshot detection, be it shot spotter, shotter detection system, anybody like that, um, computer-aided dispatch. We're integrating all these together to give them that common view. So I'm tracking the police car, I'm tracking the radios, I'm tracking GPS locations of all that, but I'm also tracking cat events, I'm tracking 911 calls, and then externally bringing in traffic, traffic cameras, traffic patterns. That's really law enforcement. When you start looking at corporate accounts, I'm bringing in weather patterns. So tracking winds, tracking tropical storms, earthquakes, fire, things like that, but also social media feeds. So companies like Dataminer or WorldAware and providing all that data so they have that situational awareness and can respond faster. So it, it ranges from you know, shot spotter gun, gun shot systems to AVL and CAD systems to social media systems to GPS radio transponders for companies like Motorola or uh, L3 Harris, for example. One of the things I saw on your website um, was Code Blue, actually, which I thought would be an interesting one because when you when you think about external deployments, college campuses or things like that, having the, the geolocation of the, the screen alert. When, it, when somebody yells into one of those locations and it can automatically pop up on a map, I thought that was really kind of interesting as, as one of those sort of integrations that may not be thought of. Do you have other audio integrations like that or maybe a Stenophone or a Commend or something that that is is straight, not uh, far less of the um, more in the mass notification side of things as opposed to the intercom side of things? Yeah, no, that's a great question because it really comes down to what the environment is and what the use case is. So Command is an integration partner of ours. Um, so it ranges anywhere from a command 
to, in fact, I was just talking to your system architect earlier today about pulling the audio signals through your SDK and your API. So we have that ability to do two-way audio control as well. Uh, we started with a company called Mutual Link and one of our, our customers in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, right, so you know that was one of the first two-way communication platforms, but we've also done that through Motorola radios, through L3 Harris, through Commend. So we have that capability to synchronize both audio control both ways as well as the video functions. Uh, one of the other things that I saw that, that was really, really fascinating to me, because when you think Live Earth, just even the name itself, Earth means ex like it's exterior. And you're looking at, you know, a, a representative of large scale outdoor. But I saw that there was a recent initiative for you guys with NC4S. And, and for those of you listening that don't know, uh, NC4S is the National Center for Spectator Sports and Safety. Um, they've It was a team that was put together. Uh, probably about five or six years ago, I believe now, and they had a, 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 a large um, sort of show where they showcase technologies. And how does Live Earth at that point kind of come in and play with those sort of large venue sports stadiums, uh, soccer stadiums, and, and right. things like that that we're coming to see? How does the interior part of the mapping work? Yeah, so a great example is one of our customers is City Field, so New York Mets, where through partnerships, we can build three-dimensional maps of the entire stadium um, based on bringing in their CAD drawings and their floor plans. And then we're placing the cameras at their actual locations on every floor within the building and then providing them access to that. So they can click on a floor, see only the cameras that are there, but also see the door access control, see their security guards if they're GPS connected. So from a stadium standpoint, now I have a security office in the stadium that can see where everybody is and access any of the cameras, but also relate them to fans coming in and out, security instances, um, 24-7, which is a mobile app for see something, say something is right. integrated in. So now internal to a stadium, we're providing them the same security protocol or situational awareness where they can really monitor everything going on internal to the building. And then the unique thing is we start bringing in the externals as well and you, you increase that security parameter where you're adding in the parking, you're adding in public transportation, the weather around the stadium. So you get that holistic view of everything that could affect your fans or your teams. What would be one of the more obscure installations you've had? You know, because if, if you think, like I just said, interior or exterior, but what would be something that would be a surprise to the audience? Uh, probably a customer that's the port of Houston. So we actually track all the ships coming in and out of the port and when they go into docks or bunker, two ships come together, we generate a billing report that feeds into their billing system, okay. right? Historically, they were having security guards on clipboards and binoculars monitoring ships as they came and go, and that's how they generate their bills. By integrating that all in, because we get the GPS signals of the boats, and now we build geofences around all the docks, we capture that information and feed it into their security or their billing system. What this did was free up their security team now to actually monitor the security of the ports and separated the billing function from the security function. But we went in there to deal with security, to integrate their camera systems and track their security forces and ended up solving a billing problem. That's pretty unique, actually. Um, one of the, the, the other questions that I would be curious about is what sort of gotchas 
What are what are some of the the headaches and the hiccups and the the FAQs and and it, it, you know when you're dealing with mapping, it doesn't seem as though it would be complex. But when you are starting to bring together so many of these other components, where is the the gotcha? Yeah, so often, it, it, it really is exactly what you said. As you bring in thousands of cameras, right? So now you have access to thousands of cameras, all the moving parts, and you're seeing it all. It's filtering it, right? So it's, it's really understanding the workflow or the use case of the customer so that you can filter out the noise, so to speak, and only show them things that are what I'll call change of state. So an alarm goes off, then I want to open up the cameras in that region. I don't want to see everything. I don't want to pick through the cameras in the video management system unless I know some event happened. So a lot of times it's really working with the customer to unlayer that use case and really understand what their workflow is and how they want to use the system. Because you're right, I'm giving them access to everything, but now, oh, I've got to back off and understand, well, how, how do I use it now? So in reference to that, what do you leverage more? Do you leverage your platform to to manage the that, that filtering, or do you really lean on the partners to have a good integration of, of information coming in? Yeah, so it really is both. Right. So it depends on one, the partner themselves uh, and two, the customer and the integration. So a great example is uh, we integrate with a lot of social media platforms. Well, those I don't want to see all the social media right. hits. Right. So they're filtered and I'm only getting keywords that are based on the customer's need. Some customers may want to see more. But in general, that works. When it comes to video, what I found is the customers really only want to open the cameras that they want to see when they want to see them. So I have access to all the cameras, but they may not want to see them all. So I'm now both dependent on the VMS provider to make sure you're sending me only what the customer wants and filtering a little bit to me. But I also have the ability to do that filtering. Um, Computer-aided dispatch is another great example. right? They're only sending us the critical events. So inside the CAD system, I don't want to see the minor things that they're probably not responding to, but I'm seeing all the, num the, the classified number one and two critical events. That's what we're displaying. That's what the commanders want to see. In, in looking at moving forward, there's always new integrations and there's new fields of play. What can you tell us about the relationship with Milestone right now and where it's going? Great question. So my milestone, I, number one, I love the power of open because we're similar. We're an open platform. We integrate with a lot of different partners. What really excites me is as I talk to your architects and your sales engineers and I learn how you sell and the capabilities you have that we haven't even integrated with, we're doing more and more integrations like pulling in the audio signals and allowing the two-way audio communication. Um, but we're also announcing coming up at ISC West this year, a full integration with XProtect 2020 release one, where we effectively become a tab inside XProtect. So from a demo capability, you can literally just click on a Live Earth tab and have it open up in XProtect. So it gives us the ability to have that seamless syncing back and forth and that tab inside XProtect will have all of our basic layers. So traffic, weather, the external factors that often the cities really want to 
you know, look at and care about. Is that going to be managed uh, inside of your system or is that going to be a component and tree inside of our management client? So it becomes a component and tree inside your management client. So it's a web-based app, okay. right? So it's very similar. Really excited to hear about what's going on in, in the AWS world as well, right. because we can fit into that app marketplace as well and have everything synchronized together. Mm -hmm. So we will be a tab inside XProtect come uh, ISC West in another month. Great. And as we're wrapping up here, is there anything else uh, or any contact information or anything that you want to get out to the sales team? You know, I, I would encourage, one, the sales team to get on our website and really learn more. Um, but at any point, please contact me directly even. Um, and, you know, I'm really simple to get a hold of. It's Craig Johnston or C. Johnston at LiveEarth.com. Send me an email. We also deal with most of your channel partners. So we're integrated with, you know, the convergence of the world and all the other channel partners out there. Um, share with us what you're doing and let us help you. Um, we, we believe in the, the power of open. We believe in our partnership. And I think we could all help each other just improve the safety and security of the world around us. I, I really, this was great. I really appreciate you joining me and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And now let's join the engineering roundtable. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another engineering roundtable. Today we have Oliver, Alex, Jason, and myself, Stephen, and we're pretty much here live at MIPS 2020, and we're going to talk about some of the cool stuff we've seen. Excellent. So I was going to bring up, um, I, there was a couple of, of uh, integrator partners I walked around with, and there was this one booth, it's kind of like a little sleeper booth right next to AnyVision called uh, Captis. And I got the, I, I call it dog and pony show, right? So I go, hey, what's your elevator spiel? What's the dog and pony show? And he, he started talking about this and I ended up bringing two or three people back over to them to, to talk to the, uh, to kind of get the, get the rundown. And it was, um, it's pretty remarkable. So they had this, like this, basically their software has a plug-in for Milestone. You get a little button on the uh, camera tile window and you have your bad guy come into the scene, somebody that you are wondering, you know, is this guy, bad guy? Is he not, you know, who is this person? You can literally click the button. It captures that frame of video, sends it up to the cloud and runs it against their database. And they have this massive database that they've scraped together of all the publicly available. That's the key, apparently a key thing. So if it's publicly available data, that's different from, you know, police specific information that they have. So the fact that it's publicly available, scraped off websites, mugshots, social media integration, basically they, they tag this face and within three to five seconds, you know exactly who the dude is, if he has got a rap sheet and exactly what he did. And it's back into the smart client, never, never leave the smart client interface. Totally blows the mind of uh, everybody I've shown it to so far. Everybody, you know, school districts, K through 12, college campuses, uh, petrochemical, you know, anybody that I brought by there was like, Oh my God, we've got to, we've got to get this. It was, it was pretty cool. It's a little sleeper booth, you know, just, you wouldn't even hardly notice them. Nobody, nobody I've talked to so far knew who they were or had talked, actually been, been by to, uh, to talk to them. Now, other technologies that, especially when you look at the social media aspect, other technologies, I think it was connect three, uh, we're doing something similar, and they've been essentially lambasted uh, for privacy by scraping social media. Does that because that kind of falls under GDPR? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. I wouldn't surprise me if they tie into that because they, they it was 
by the guy's description, they, they've hooked into almost everything. But Oh, and you could also do uh, your own facial database. So if you have like employees, disgruntled employees or something like that that you want to uh, – to, to mark or their fa- have their faces come up as an issue, then you can you can do that as well. It's not limited strictly to their database. And it was like 100 bucks a month per channel. So, and of course you don't want all the channels in your company, you're gonna pick the front doors at the choke points. And that subscription gets you um, unlimited, from what I understood, unlimited checks to do the facial recognition checks. It's pretty neat. Made an impression on me. What kind of databases were they pulling from? Did they specify that or? It was it's kind of their own, but I don't know, I don't know what the technology is behind it. But they had their own proprietary thing that they're doing that scrapes together and aggregates you know, all the stuff that they've found. Um, but then they could tie into other databases. But I'm, I'm not sure if it's SQL or what what they use. Sure. I mean, on the topic of facial recognition, we saw you mentioned AnyVision booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that they did an integration into our search uh, client where you can grab essentially an image, just a picture from a file, uh, be able to identify a face in it and then search that against your camera. So it's not so it's not a facial recognition search that you're doing, it's a neural net search against essentially similar faces. It was very quick because the data stored as metadata, very similar to our motion search. Uh, it was a very, very impressive search analytic that they did. Yeah, InnoVision has a really cool technology. The way it was explained to me, it basically takes your face, makes a mathematical model of it. So it's not storing pixels of your face. It's storing basically here's the math problem that is your face. And then it can compare that against somebody else's math problem. And you get a probability of how close those two math problems are to each other. And that's where it comes up with the percentage of the accuracy of the match. On it, so it, it's not having to store tons and tons of photos. All it stores is like vector data. If you know graphic stuff, vector data versus pixel data, it's it's just storing a math problem rather than the pixels that make up your face. And that's one one reason it's so quick. It's just comparing math. You know, it's just it's all numbers. It's just comparing math math well, problems to math problems. Yeah, fig- exactly. That's the way they describe it: a digital fingerprint for your face. See, and that's the interesting thing is that's your standard face rec is doing measurements and so on. As it was explained to me, and I don't maybe this was a translation, but that was exactly what they said they were getting away from and utilizing essentially this, uh, this they referred to it as neural net, to simply do a, not a math problem, but a similar. Maybe that's so, for phase three. It, yeah, it might be kind of their next step. Um, but the idea was, you know, all those measurements work, but when the person's wearing sunglasses and a scarf covering half their face, those measurements shouldn't work, but they were able to show demos of it actually working. And it can be used against a current day photo or something done from the 80s because it's doing uh, a face similar as opposed to a direct match. And that's what made it very interesting to, to like, see those results. Like the old, old way of doing it was like pixel comparison. So here's the photo. Here's what we got. How close are those two pixels, those two pictures to each other? Or what's the space between their eyes, you know, and measuring that and then trying to do a comparison or something. That's like the really old school way. Yeah. You know, then the mathematical model of your face is, a my understanding, the newer way to do it. But now if they've got you know, some sort of deep learning thing that's takes it a step further into phase three, then, you know, yeah. that's the any vision is. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I thought they were still doing the math model. No, I, I haven't I talked to them in the last year, though. So, you know, I may be way outdated. I also found InnoVision very impressive. Um, just their, the way their integration works, that search plugin, 
uh, it falls under our like search framework, which is something that I know that we've been pushing and hoping it expands. So yeah. seeing somebody that's using that is actually very refreshing. Gotta go talk to him. I haven't talked to him this year. So yeah, they've they got some, yeah. just between what you two said right there, Ed, yeah, it's completely changed. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I mean, speaking of completely changed, I mean, some of the search feedback or some of the search functionality inside of the AnyVision plugin within our smart client actually has been developed while we're here at MIPS. So Jared actually gave them some feedback and they actually developed it overnight. So hmm. that's pretty impressive. Cool. Um, so one thing that I, I found rather impressive with AnyVision was the fact that you could import a photo and it would actually be seamless through their API calls back into their engine and everything would be handled through the client. Uh, how did you guys feel about the alarm manager integration though? Um, did you guys take a look at that at all? I yeah. saw that. I saw that. I felt it was slightly weak because it would show you alarms for every single result. So I think that's probably a part that needs some polishing on their end, but I think with some adjustment, if we can get different types of alarms from them, as opposed to just a base alarm, I think that would be incredibly useful. They seemed they seemed very uh, very receptive to feedback and and actually very agile in the sense that they were able to make adjustments so quickly. Um, yeah. yeah, I did make the suggestion when I was talking with them. Um, I don't know if you guys have been to the Herda booth. Um, they do not have a search plugin, but they do have a tab plug-in in the smart clients where the entire Herda platform is managed. Um, there was a good suggestion to, they had the search client aspect, but they were missing that back-end aspect to be able to manage the users, to be able to add people to any of the other match lists. Uh, that did seem to be what was missing from the AnyVision side. And speaking of Herda, uh, Mike Terrace did an FMFF uh, on facial recognition, focusing on HERDA. Uh, pretty sure that's that was about late November. Uh, should still be on Workplace. We could probably look at that uh, based on what we're seeing at the show. Yeah, they have a really good integration from what I understand HERDA does. So there, there was another one that actually came up. They're, they're not um, they're not here at MIPS, but um, I don't even know how to pronounce the name. Imagus? Imagus? Yeah, I-M-A-G-U-S. This, this was a referral that came. Uh, they're going to be at ISC. Uh, came from Taz out of Australia, and he was um, sent me a couple of YouTube videos, or he was uh, or I was on the email chain, and they have this crazy deep integration with Milestone. Um, like, you actually configure the software, load faces, you know, interact with it through the management client, and work with it in the smart client software. You don't have to leave the Milestone environment. It's deeply, deeply, deeply integrated, as in it's almost like baked in to Milestone. And looked really legit. looked looked really cool. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing them at ISC. They're going to have a partner pod, I think. Yeah, and the um, other additional thing I saw is you know we talked all about integrations and things like that, but it's also worth it to kind of look at some of our other partners that we have here. Yeah. Um, one of the guests this year was Cinex. Um, for anybody that doesn't really know Cinex, they're actually more of a kind of a CDW. They're a, a, a PC distributor. They're um, trying to join the um, System Builder program and selling um, Lenovo units uh, that have Milestone VMS preloaded on them, and mm -hmm. they're doing their own um, um, reference architecture testing and things of that nature. They brought a really cool unit to MIPS, 
which is a small ruggedized, uh, semi-ruggedized unit that fits eight hard drives, has like LTE built into it, uh, which is kind of shooting towards like mobile command centers, that type of stuff. Um, they have cool stuff, and as a fan of uh, Lenovo hardware. Yeah, they're bucking the trend and not doing the Dell or the HP thing. Exactly, right? exactly. Plus, they're also, it's easier for some people to purchase because a lot of IT shops already have direct, you know, connection to Cinex and you just buy it from them, so... Yeah, I got I got a chance to look at that hardware as well, and they're doing uh, LTE. They have five G ready. Uh, they're also hosting a DDWRT uh, hotspot. So for those, uh, I, I envision that as you know technicians rolling up on site and being able to utilize something like mobile video push over that hotspot back to the NVR back to central. Uh, there's a lot of interesting use cases that a, a single piece of hardware like that can can come up with. Cool. And for those that don't know, DDWRT is an open source firmware that operates on a access point or wireless Wi-Fi router that gives you a lot of open, really cool functionality, and it's free. I feel like we can end on that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and on the power of open, thanks for joining us for another engineering roundtable. And we'll see you soon. It's been fun. That's a wrap on this episode. Join us again next time when we talk to Briefcam and have a roundtable discussion about the value proposition of analytics.